So, oh, just so you know, the way this works is I have this little intro that I wrote, and I'm gonna uh, read your bio and introduce you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've listened. To, I listened to okay. some past episodes, so I'm pretty pretty familiar with your format. Oh, good, because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> good evening and welcome to Cinema Death Cult, the eulogy for the death of motion pictures in podcast form. Tonight, I'm exploring the 1962 French short film La Jetée and its 1995 feature film remake, 12 Monkeys. Directed by visionary filmmaker and multimedia chronicler of revolution, Chris Marker, La Jetée tells a haunting post-apocalyptic story about time travel and the nature of memory, almost entirely in still images. In 1995, Monty Python troop member and reluctant Hollywood filmmaker, Terry Gilliam retold La Jetée as 12 Monkeys, a science fiction thriller starring Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, to explain these explorations of perception, memory, and the power of still images, I'm joined by Joseph Gamble, fine art photographer and professor of photography at Colorado Mountain College, whose work has been displayed in private collections, galleries, and museums. He's also a college buddy I haven't talked to in a real long time, and I'm delighted to reconnect with him now. How you doing, Joe? Doing good. How are you doing, Adam? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited to talk to you. Now, yeah, you, man. It's yeah. been a while. I know, I know. It's super fun. Um, but what's interesting is this is uh, a unique circumstance for me because this is the first time anybody reached out to me uh, to, with a suggestion for, you know, uh, to be on the show in what films. So you suggested, uh, this is your idea, to do La Jete and 12 Monkeys. So why? Tell me why. Well, I mean, I think um, the fact that we're living in a pandemic right now, um, hopefully on the tail end of it, but, uh, <laughs> well, we'll you know, see. fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the coronavirus, the way that that is sort of, you know, reshaping so much of, uh, you know, contemporary life and changing uh, a lot of the economic circumstances, uh, of, uh, of our lives. It just seemed like that film 12 monkeys was just almost prophetic in many ways. Um, yeah. and, and I hadn't seen it since, Honestly, I, th I honestly was trying to remember when I saw the film, and I'm pretty sure I saw it in college at Sin Studio during the spring of of '96. I mean, I'm almost positive that I saw it there, and I'm, I'm almost positive that's where I saw it as well. I mean, we might have seen it. Honestly, yeah. we could have seen it together, or, yeah. or just been there that same night. But <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I was reflecting on that film and and how prophetic it was in some ways about you know what a virus could do. Um, right. to the human race. And then, and then of course I was reminded, like, you can't really discuss 12 monkeys without at least, you know, mentioning, uh, Chris Marker's La Jetée. So, right, right, right. Yeah. So I was like, man, we should, you should do this on, uh, mm -hmm. on, uh, Adam's, uh, podcast cinema death cult, because I was, you know, mm -hmm. I was listening to, um, you know, your recent, uh, your recent, uh, podcast with Alex yeah, uh, about check. yeah about John Carpenter's them, and I was like, "Gosh, yeah. that movie too is such an a relevant one now to revisit." Yeah. So oh, we were talking about just uh, we were talking about they live. Yeah, they live. That's right. right. They live. Yeah. Sorry, just, I know people. I have all these fact checkers coming after me. No, 
No, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why I called it them, but yeah, they no, lived. Fine. I don't know why I was like in such a rush to correct you because no, you were flowing. And so, so twelve monkeys. The the well, first of all, I find it it with the living in the pandemic. Almost any movie I watch kind of gets shadowed or but gets flavored by living in the pandemic. But you're right. Like this movie doesn't need. You don't have to think through it too much for it to be a pandemic movie. Right. Right. Yeah. But it, it was interesting, uh, yeah, because it's it's about it's about like a, a, a virus, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, the writers uh, David and Janet Peebles, uh, yeah, you know, were they 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 sort of took La Jetie as fodder to uh, to inspire a, a new a new idea, and in, you know, in La Jetie, it's a it's a it's a nuclear uh, fallout right. of like a World War Three scenario, yeah, and they they instead went with the, you know, the notion of a, of a virus, um, that has, you know, basically forced humanity underground and, uh, and really, you know, humanity's potentially, uh, facing their own end. Um, and, uh, and, and they, the notion of time travel then enters into the concept. But I think one of the most unique things about, about the notion of time travel, um, in both of the films is that uh, what happens in the in the past, you know, when when the character of Bruce Willis of Cole goes back into the past or the soldier in La Jetie, when they go back into the past, yeah. their actions there are not really fundamentally changing much in terms of right. uh, the present reality. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. such a trope of of time travel in cinema mm-hmm. is that, you know, you go back into the past while well, you're going to unwittingly you know, create havoc or, 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 or change the, the future in a real major way. Right. Right. And yeah, what's interesting about the way that, uh, 12 monkeys plays with, uh, with the past is that the past is, is a mystery. Like they don't really know what happened. They have little pieces of it. Right. They're trying to put it together. Like, I, I don't know if they say it's a jigsaw puzzle or if that's just the way that, uh, cause I, cause we both also watched the documentary about. Right. Um, the hamster effect. That's right. Yeah. And so they're so they're in the future, and this catastrophic event has uh, wiped out, I think, ninety nine percent of humanity, and driven right. them underground. And but they don't really know what happened. They don't have a timeline for it. And they also the past is inaccessible in a way that um, it wouldn't be in our reality. You know? Yeah, yeah, it is, and I I think I love that about it because it it's not only Cole who's trying to piece together what the hell happened to humanity, but it's you as the, is the viewer. Right. You're, you're along as you're right there with him. And you're, yeah. you're, you're also given by Gilliam uh, a lot of visual clues that sort of exist um, in a lot of these scenes as you try to piece it together. And I think that's why the film works so yeah. well, despite the fact that, you know, as we know from watching the documentary, The Hamster Effect, yeah. Gilliam was uh, doubting himself and doubting the, uh, you know, the whole concept of the film from really from start to finish and especially yeah. especially towards the end, which is which is um, it's just it's really interesting how that how that hamster effect shows just so much this the self-doubt uh that, yeah. that was that was plaguing him as the leader of the circus that was the, the film <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i got the impression from watching that uh that he didn't feel like it was his film that he didn't feel like it was really a terry gilliam movie right i mean he yeah. um as you and i are aware yeah he uh you know he had 
he'd had this critical success with Brazil that was off the yeah. charts, but then, yeah. but then they wouldn't release the film in the United States. It had done incredibly well critically and financially in Europe. And then, yeah. um, he, so he, he was actually having these, you know, uh, parties where he would show mm -hmm. it to critics in Los Angeles. And it, it was so critically acclaimed that, that a smaller, shorter version of it was eventually, uh, released. He did incredibly well with that. He did incredibly well with time bandits. And then, Right. Um, and then and then he just hemorrhaged money with with Baron Munchausen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then basically they were like, you know, you're not you don't. He lost creative control as a director at that point. And yeah, you know, they used him to seduce, uh, you know, Robin Williams <laughs> into the Fisher King, which was also, you know, a critical success. And so, yeah. He was able to get that control of the final cut with uh, 12, 12 monkeys. monkeys. And he yeah. was and and I think he was. Um, you know, he was really, really trying to be so fastidious with the with the money with this film, and right. and, uh, and he did a lot with a little. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. in some ways when I look at just these uh, the mise en scene yeah, of yeah, a, yeah. of a lot of these scenes, especially the ones underground. It reminds me a little bit of what Ridley Scott did, um, you know, in Blade Runner with you know a very, oh. very small budget, the studio bearing down on you. And yeah. yet still, you know, still creating uh, a world. And that's what both uh, Ridley Scott does so well and Gilliam does so well in this film is yeah. is world building. And that's yeah. that's the extremely hard part, I think, of any science fiction film is to create uh, a world. And they both right. do it. They, they do it so well. And an interesting side note that I've been thinking about, because I, I love Blade Runner. It's one of my all time favorite films, yeah, is that yeah, yeah. Um, David Peebles, who was the writer of 12 monkeys with his wife, Janet was actually yeah. brought in in a tree, kind of in a triage capacity to, uh, to rework, uh, Hampton Fincher's original s screenplay on Blade Runner. So there's, oh, really? there, there's an interesting thread there, which I think is kind of cool that connects yeah. it. I didn't, I didn't know it was a, it was like kind of a low budget kind of movie and I didn't know it was a troubled production either. Uh, which Blade one, Runner. which one Blade Runner? Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, I knew, obviously I knew about, 12 monkeys because i've watched that documentary this afternoon but um but yeah but the, the point i was building to is that it feels like a it's unquestionably a terry gilliam movie uh, right 12 monkeys. yeah it just has his vibe has this look there's nothing about it that's like not <laughs> terry gilliam you know right right yeah. exactly i mean it it's it's the why you know he loves to use wide angle yeah. Um, and, and then he's just so fastidious with what he includes in every shot. I mean, yeah, uh, it's 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 amazing kind of like the like, again, the visual clues. I mean, these, these right. the scene where Cole is first, you know, given the assignment and um, and he's you know, he, he's he's locked into that chair and then the orb comes in and is kind of <laughs> the orb. You know the the problematic yeah. orb that was like the it was like the it was like the shark from Jaws for the production yeah. apparently, but there's all the news. I mean, there's all the newsprint and there's you right. know and it's like all of this all of the clues uh, that they have to solve the mystery are there and and I just again I love the fact that he does that so well and it it, yeah. it, it brings you as an audience member into the you know sort of the the film noirish. Uh, component of this of right. this film, which I think is just it's it's really does have some of those elements of, of film noir, yeah. Uh, while while still being uh, a science fiction film, right, right, right. But also w the thing that I like about the story it tells is that so they are investigating this thing, but they're following a red herring through 
the exactly. vast majority of the plot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Jeffrey Goins and the and the you know the Army of the Twelve Monkeys uh, is yeah. re- they they are uh, only tangentially related to uh, the source of the virus. Right. Um, yeah. But yet there's you know there's all of the propaganda that remain in the you know in the in the the present day that's you know Philadelphia there's all the spray paint that shows right. they're claiming that they did it they're taking responsibility but it's it's for something totally different which is the liberation of the of the Philadelphia Zoo you know right. <laughs> yeah it's just nothing I mean but it is so when Bruce Willis goes up to the surface in the in the early scene in that visually striking scene where it's like snowy Philadelphia and there's mm-hmm. a lion that's mm-hmm. up. I don't know the name of the building, but it's on like a second floor of a building. Right. And, you know, now, uh, you know, you watch movies now and you're kind of like numb to visual spectacle like that in a way, because, you you know, you're aware of computers and they can do whatever, fucking whatever, you know. Right. You can, right. It's all just a green screen and it might never have happened. It's just a guy, a sweaty guy trying to hit a deadline on a computer, you know. But yeah. uh, at the time, <laughs> and it took me a second. It took me a second to wake up to it. I'm like, oh, no, this is this is real. This is a really shot in Philadelphia. They really had a fucking lion. How do the yeah. fuck do they get it up there? How do yep. they do this? And, and it was, yeah, it took me, it took me back a little bit. Um, for sure. And just, and the, the other thing that was very illuminating, uh, it, among several things about that documentary was talking about how they constructed the props for the movie. Right. You know? Like, so they found shit like it was scrap yard metal and you know, whatever they filmed in like, uh, abandoned power plants, decommissioned yep. power plants. Yep. And yeah. And so they found all this stuff and it was kind of like, you know, old bicycle parts, I think, you know, like just, so it has that steampunky look, but it was very, uh, very handcrafted in a way that, that feels very rich, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's this notion that um, mechanical things and are, are, a big part of that present in 2035 that yeah. that, are, that are allowing humanity to persist, um, you know, through sort of mechanical ingenuity. And that's certainly is part of that, that world that Gilliam creates so well. And you've got to give huge, huge props to uh, the set decoration and, you know, all of the costume work that went into the, and the location scouts. I mean, because, you know, again, um, although, yeah. Gilliam had that final cut control over the film. Uh, you, the studio, and especially the the producers, um, you know, Charles Roven was was one of the two. They were they were intimately involved in the production. Um, yeah. I mean, they were they were on set every day. They were they were they were watching him, and they were watching what he was doing. And um, right. you know, and I I, I I I have a great deal of empathy for what he went through. Um, but I think the film is just a fantastic triumph, uh, especially yeah. even more so because uh, of those circumstances. Right, right, right. And so I feel like at heart, it's a movie um, about about memory. It's really an exploration of memory. Uh, the, and the reason why I think that is because, you know, in, in, our, in our real world, so at, uh, the past has been recorded and is accessible at a moment's notice. Like we can bring up uh, pictures, bring up, you know, uh, video, whatever. And it's on our phones. It's like everywhere around us. We pull this shit up. Right. And, um, you know, anytime we want. Uh, it's Everything's a Google search away, really. 
or you know like a facebook scroll feed scroll away you do it for personal information right uh, and then you watch 12 monkeys and it's a movie where that there's a dead stop for your ability to access uh information about the past and the only thing it's gone and so how, what you know what does what is it like living when you don't have access to these memories you know what when you don't have access to this information about the past, when the past is gone, when the past is something that's out of reach. And so, you know, you have the hero of the film is this guy who just happens to have great, you know, a really strong, bold memory of one thing. And that's how he's able to navigate this uh, kind of treacherous time travel stuff. I mean, this is all kind of like, is that this is that ch- vibe with what, with what yeah. Your yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the through line that, uh, of course, um, connects uh, La Jetty and, and 12 Monkeys. But um, also it, it it extends out. We were talking as well about Marker's yes. 1983 documentary or I mean, it's you could call it a documentary it, <laughs> or you can call it sort of a, a you know, a, a, he called it his own whole movies, the film Sunless or Sans Soleil. Yeah. And, that, and and that film is also very much concerned with like with memory and um, and imagery and, and what is yeah. what is what is a memory and how much is a memory informed by uh, by visual material, too. And I think that's right. the interesting thing is like is like when you look at a photograph, how much is looking at that photograph of the past influencing your your memory in the present of it? And, and yeah. so all these films explore the nature uh, of memory and then also the nature, uh, I think of time and, yeah. and how time functions. Right. And I think uniquely, um, the, the, well, yeah, the, just to get back to the thing I was going to say about it being, uh, 12 monkeys being uh, definitely a Terry Gilliam film. It, it definitely felt like, uh, I thought it kind of echoed Brazil in a lot of ways, like the, um, you know, the way that Brazil, uh, uh, contrast the drudgery of, you know, that the, the, the bureaucratic science, you know, it's 1984 bureaucracy world of the present versus his, not the present, well, just his waking world rather versus his flights of fancy of, of heroism and magic and whatever. And, you know, so you have that kind of contrast in 12 monkeys of like the, 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 the cramped germ, you know, laden, prison world right of the of the future versus some kind of lyrical sense of the past that's that's pretty elusive you know yeah yeah and i think i think the notion of madness you know emerges when you fail to make a distinction between those two worlds, you know, and, right. and you know, the world, what you're describing is the, the, you know, sort of the, the fictitious world in Brazil. And then the, the, the sort of the, the, the drudgery of the, of the, <laughs> of the daily world. Yeah. And I love, I, you know, I think it's almost symbolized in that, that moment, uh, in 12 monkeys when, uh, Cole is in the psychiatric ward and he meets Jeffrey Goins for the first time. And, um, the the guy comes up to him and says he has um uh, dis what does he say he has a he has the disorder he says I'm from the planet Ugu and, and <laughs> oh yeah you know he's he's he talks about that and and it's like 
Um, he knows that it's that it's his own construct, and he's aware of it, but he's not yeah. he's not willing to um, accept it. And I, yeah. I just I think that's the kind of the nature of his madness. But in, in many ways, that's I mean that is truly what Cole's dealing with. Is that is like what what is the nature of my reality? What is what is reality? Yeah, yeah. They they make it a little bit ambiguous, like whether or not he's having a break from reality or whether or not. Or whether you know what we're seeing is just you know is the truth, and um, and that seemed. I, I was watching it that kind. I gotta say, I got I had a couple issues with with the movie. Like th- this is like the third or fourth time I think I've seen Twelve Monkeys, and honestly, every time I've watched it, I l- I've liked it a little bit less. Interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I I mean, I think that it's, I think it's a good movie. I think I think part of it is that I love. Uh, Lajatis so fucking much. Well, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually mentioned to Alex that I was reaching Alex Zaychik that I was reaching out to you about yeah. these films, and Alex is like, "Yeah, Twelve Monkeys is great, but my God, Lajatis is is yeah. I, I prefer it." And um, they're they're I think they're incomparable films because yeah. you know uh, Marker does an extraordinary thing with with very little and. Um, and and this is you know this is despite Gilliam being the the David versus the Hollywood Goliath as he so often you know self proclaims it is a Hollywood yeah. film and it and it yeah. it does have the budget to um you know to explore yeah. and and it and it's a different story I mean it's a different story yes, in many ways yeah it's a different story and it's got I mean, the Hollywood thing it's got huge stars in it and it's big it's a big fucking movie and it's like there's details in every single frame like this is a full movie yeah you know like every like every image is full and you know detail like all like all the stuff like when um i don't even know what they're called the people who are in charge in the in the future do they return you know yeah do they call them anything they're sort of the uh the experimenters i mean i I remember that from la jetie is there they're called the experimenters or the administrators but they almost seem like a um, almost like a panel of judges, almost like yes. par- they're almost like his parole board. They're like, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to grant you. I mean, that's how that's what they're meant to be is his parole board. Uh, you know, like we'll grant you yeah. a pardon if you can pull this off. Which, yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, when like there's when you see them, like there, there's like a um, like a clothesline in front of them with like little pieces of paper and stuff, right? Or you know, and so, or they have just like little bits of machinery around them, like little you know things, and and you're like, okay, this is. And, and and through the course of the film, like thinking back and like, oh yeah, that's them piecing together all these things, but um, but that's kind of the fullness of it. I think was the thing that that dragged on me a little bit, like the because Lajati is so empty, you know, in comparison. Like it's it's you know all still images, just narration. And like the, you know, the opening of, of it, you know, like I was watching it, I watched it right, we're almost right after 12 monkeys. And it's just like, right. You know, it's long hanging for a while on an image of an airport. It's at an interesting angle and they're playing this orchestral score over it and stuff. Um, And I was like, Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) But uh, it's haunting because of that emptiness, you know, whereas, whereas like, Oh no, go on. What are you going to say? Well, one of the things I noticed because, you know, as you and I were talking about earlier, um, La Jetie is, is, is really Chris Marker's, you know, drawing so much inspiration from Hitchcock. And one of the things yes, that I, absolutely. especially, especially the 1958 film 
Vertigo, which we were, which we've been talking about because I just watched that today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the use of, I mean, Hitchcock is is an absolute master at sound and at the importance yeah. of sound. Uh, oh. and, and Marker, I think, is also really, really um, conscientious with his choice of sound and that music. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you can't, when you don't have motion, I mean, there's only what, two seconds potentially at all of motion capture in that uh film la jetie then you've yeah. then sound is everything and yeah, yeah, yeah and marker i mean he he i think takes inspiration from what hitchcock does and he does it just incredibly well incredibly yeah. well yeah i mean it's it's pure cinema in a lot of ways it's all you're right the sound the sounds he uses are unreal it's like they're so precise and so good and uh the the rhythm he sets up with the editing of the images and you know, both like in rhythm and time and rhythm, uh, the way that the images bounce off each other visually, you know, it becomes, and the way that also the images bounce off the narration, you know, it becomes this like liminal space where the movie occupies. It's like more than the sum of the parts, you know, because you can yeah. talk about the pictures, talk about the narration. Uh, but then, you know, it's, it, the movie happens somewhere else other than those things. And, and also the other thing about it is that it seems to be striving to tell something about the human experience in a way I felt like 12 Monkeys doesn't. Right. I, I think, well, we got, I mean, we, at some point we have to talk about the, the challenges of the, the ending with 12 Monkeys. Cause it's, 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 it was, as you could tell from the documentary, it was kind of fraught with, um, debate between the filmmaker yeah. and the producers, but um, there's a. I, I think the thing that's kind of interesting in terms of the difference between the films um, is that the the soldier in La Jetie is has that chance at redemption and a future life that's presented yeah. to him, you know, right. because he is actually able to see beyond this. Yeah this you know state he sees that there is actually a continuance of humanity and yeah and there's actually a cause for optimism in that in that revelation and yeah. instead instead he's anchored uh he's anchored to the past and right. and ultimately what is the past well it's the fulfillment of the memory that uh, of of the of the of seeing his own death and as a child and not understanding it and right and and that that is definitely um, lacking from Twelve Monkeys, right? Um, and also, you know, just to tie in Vertigo, just even tight more tightly, it's like a, an obsession over this image, and then the image mm -hmm. that becomes radically redefined when it you know it crops up again. Oh, that's a great connection. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, you know I was marveling you know just rec just a few just an hour ago at. at uh, the range uh, of Jimmy Stewart in that in that <laughs> film Vertigo, because um, when he realizes the betrayal and uh, with the necklace, yeah, um, that he's really kind of been had, he becomes um, he becomes so hostile and so angry yeah. and and so vulnerable, and yes. in a way he almost overcomes his vertigo, but then yeah. he's but but you know he's doomed. And in the way that he's doomed to repeat the past, the character, the the, the main protagonist in both La Jetie and, and and Twelve Monkeys, they're they're doomed to fulfill uh, the memory that 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 is the you know the, really the beginning of both films. 
Right, right, which brings right. It, which brings their their stories full circle. Right, and so so um, like kind of my central critique, I guess, of Twelve Monkeys versus Lajati is that like, I feel like, oh, pardon me, uh, like Lajati, it's about it wants to say something about humanity. It's and you can even like it starts with a heartbeat. I think I think that's the first thing you hear is a heartbeat, and um, it it wants to be about that heartbeat. It wants to be about you know how we process this visual information and how like how it relates to our bodies and who we are and our souls and you know and then you have 12 monkeys and i feel like that it's a thriller like it just it's there it's a it, and but i i don't know if there maybe there is a statement there maybe there's something i'm missing is it oh, there's, there's a lot going on but you know it's like I, I it just feels like a lot going on to like uh to be exciting and to titillate hmm yeah um I don't know. I think. I think. Uh, yeah. There's a. There's a commentary. There's a. There's a. You know. Because La Jetie, you cast backward at it, and it's like, oh my god, this was done in 1962. Shot yeah. with. Uh, shot with. You know, likely on Agfa film with a Pentax, mm-hmm. Spotomatic 35 millimeter camera, and it's like, just the wherewithal to basically. I mean, it, what is it? I mean, it's a storyboard. It's a bunch of still yeah. photographs. It's a bunch of still photographs. Yeah. that have been you know and then there's that uh, that one or two second you know snippet where uh the woman is lying in bed and her eyes move and it's I know, it's, and it's so minimal the movement just like blinking and it's when it comes in it's like it, it feels like an earthquake you know yeah totally it does and yeah. it 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 it's so mysterious. It's, it's, it's almost as if you, the viewer don't know, did that actually happen or not? I don't know. Right. You, know it's like you question yourself and the, yeah. the use of the fade in and the fade out. I mean, it's just, it's such a just minimal stripped down uh, way to tell a story. And Marker considered it, I believe a, like a photo novel. He didn't even necessarily yeah. like the idea of it being uh, known as a film, but yeah, I think it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary to me because you look at, I mean, I showed it to my class the other day because I was like, you know, I was like, this is a, this is a tremendous exercise in visual storytelling because of the, I mean, it's a storyboard, but it's shot in such an incredible way. I mean, it's image by image by image by image. (laughs) And I think, you know, Gilliam said, supposedly from what, what I researched, Gilliam was aware of it. He knew the film and knew the history of the film, but it had actually never watched it and didn't watch it until he until 12 monkeys was was completely yeah done. yeah that was something i was going to bring up because he says in he says in that documentary the hamster effect oh you know he he says yeah there's it's based on this movie and i've never seen this movie right and but then like uh, a couple a little while later like i was researching stuff and there's an interview of him about la Jetie, um on right. like and so it's like he saw it. He either saw it later, uh, which I guess is you know probably what happened. I was like, was he lying? <laughs> was he just like saying that, or was he, um, was he, you know, uh, or was that truthful? But oh yeah, so the, it, you know, the the, re- the the real cynical glib thing you can say to describe um, Lachati is yeah, it's like uh, the greatest PowerPoint presentation ever made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that, that, that works. And, I, and, and there's so much to take away from it. I mean, yeah. um, it's, it's a masterwork in storytelling. 
Um, the photographs themselves speak you know, vol- volumes just in terms of um, how they're metered, how they're printed. I mean, they're they're exquisite photographs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The angles. I mean, you've got wide angles, tight angles. I mean, it the, the focal lengths and the 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 way that the scene, the actual individual images are structured with placement of people. Um, it, it's all so incredibly well done that I that I feel it's important to see. I mean, I first saw the film. I was not aware of it and I was not aware. Uh, I was only partially aware. I think that 12 monkeys had a, you know, a source film, but yeah, when I was in graduate school, 12 monkeys first. Yes. So I saw 12 okay. monkeys and almost positive. I saw it at Sen studio in college at Trinity. And then, yeah. um, when I was in grad school, um, many years later, uh, my photo arts class, which was my second semester of grad school, my professor who was a, a huge influence on me and a huge mentor, Tom mm-hmm. Fisher, he showed us the film. He showed us La Jetie. And, uh, and I, I was pretty taken by it. Um, yeah. and I was, a, you know, I was a little like just mystified that 12 in a way also that 12 monkeys came out of that as source material. So, yeah. so well, yeah, I mean, I- it, it, it's been there, it's been there in my, in my mind for a while, but, um, I just revisited. I mean, I hadn't seen either of these films probably in 20 years. So it was, it yeah. was awesome to revisit both of them in a, in a, in a short amount of time that, so that yeah. I could see these relationships. And, and then it occurred to me out the other day, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta share this with my students because I do think there mm-hmm. are uh, some takeaways in terms of narrative and how you can build narrative. Yeah. What did they, what was their response? Um, I think, I think they were kind of hypnotized by it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they, they were just kind of like, wow, that's cool. Or that's interesting. And, and it right. did hold, and it held their attention because I think, I, I think you also have to understand that the attention span of, of today's student versus <clears throat> student 20 years ago is different. You know, it, right, it's, right, de- right. it's definitely different um, given, um, you know, the emergence of the, of the, the mobile device and, you know, screen yeah. time, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think there's that first few, images in La Jetie and you either are going to buy in or you're not. And, <laughs> yeah. and if you do, uh, yeah. the ride is so worth it, but I can yeah. see, I can see how a young person today, uh, might not buy in, you know? Right. Yeah. I could see that too, but it's also, um, I think it's the only like French new wave movie. I, I think you could show to like a general audience and, and have a good chance of like them being with it. You know, mm-hmm. them liking it, you know, uh, which is because I've shown it to a bunch of people, you know, like I've shown it for a long time. I said it was my favorite movie. I, I don't know if it if I would say that today necessarily, right. because uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, you know, I was a, 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 a proponent of this movie, an advocate for this movie. And so I got a lot of people to watch it. I think I also had it. I had it on like DVD. Right. So, you know, people would come over and. Okay, I'm going to put this on. It'll take 20 minutes. It'll blow your mind. So right. I've seen it a, a lot. You know, I've shown it to a lot of people. and it, But I don't think I could show... I would not have the same readiness to show people like, you know, 400 Blows or something. Even though I think that's a very you know, great movie, obviously. Right. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to say anything nobody said before, but yeah, 400 Blows is a very good movie. But it's like, there's, you know, that it's a, you have to be more patient with that and it's more of like this quiet, personal story. Whereas... Right the 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 effect of because uh, it's a as a the effect of Lajeti as a 
like as a formal exercise, I think like when you first see it, it just, it, that takes over your brain in a way. Like, and and it, it's kind of weird that there's not an, that it's unique as far as I can tell. Like, you feel like there would be like five other movies that did something similar in terms of like a series of still images and narration. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think in some ways, I don't know if this is a counterpoint, but like you show a film like 400 blows and it, it's, it still subscribes to, um, the, the common, you know, format of film, you know, it, it's, it's right. a, it's a narrative story. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a length that we would expect. Um, and it, and it yeah. tells a story visually, but La Jatie is, um, I, I can see where it, there would be barriers of entry there for certain, uh, members of an audience. It's, it's not right, something right, that right. I think, I don't, it's not something like, like I think I could show my parents and they would, they would be able to manage. I don't think they would buy into it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know. Whereas I could, they would all probably watch the 400 blows. And so. Right, right, right. Yeah. What's well, a more, more human story, a more readily human story. Right. And they're like, yeah. okay, I'm watching a film. Whereas like without the motion, I think, you know, within the first few frames of La Jetie, there there's that willingness to either, either, either go for the ride um, right. or, or not. Right. You know, right, but also Lajati has this the science fiction thing. It does mm-hmm. have that post apocalyptic thing, which I think you know that registers as more of a more of interest, you know, to a general audience. I think than like, all right, there's this confused little sad boy in France. Right. Know, yeah. I think the but, thing uh, that's I think the thing that's 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 so powerful about Lajati in some ways is the timeliness of it. I mean, and that's something yeah. that that watching it now. It, yeah. It's not as palpable to us. It doesn't. It doesn't strike that chord. But if you think about it, this is 1962. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we're, you're very much right in the thick of the emergence of the Cold War. And yeah, absolutely. This, this possibility of, you know, with the Cuban Missile Crisis happening at that time, the possibility yeah. of of a nuclear uh, annihilation that could potentially end humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it it makes that film. Uh, profound in a way that I don't know we c- can glimpse as well no. from our present state, you know, looking back at, at it, you know. And the, yeah, the other thing is that at the time in 1962, and this is something I just only realized like, like two days ago, there were, all, it's only like the third or fourth movie to seriously try to grapple with the idea of a post-apocalypse of like what the post-apocalypse would be. Like you look through it, you know, I was looking through like lists of post-apocalyptic movies and there was like nothing before. There's like maybe like two or three. There's like On the Beach before 1962, which is right. like a relatively serious thing. But the rest of them are like, you know, goofy monster movies. It's like, you know, these astronauts get, you know, land in the like year 4000. They got to fight giant spiders and bullshit and whatever. Right. You right. Know? And But this is this is this is a, this is a unique idea. Uh, whereas yeah. you know, it could, it wouldn't ever be, it would not be that again. Like after like a boy and his dog, and the whole wave of like Mad Max movies and all the ripoffs of Mad Max and uh, Escape from New York and stuff, because it, it became like, um, and I love all those movies, but you know, it became like a a, a thing, like a thing we all rec- there's video games of it, like not just one, but like you know hundreds of them. So it would, it's never going to feel like that again. And so watching like Twelve Monkeys and that post apocalyptic thing, like they had to do the. Um, they found a way to make it unique with the the pandemic, the virus stuff, right? But it still feels a little bit like 
there in 1995, it feels like, oh yeah, this is a post-apocalyptic movie, which we already know kind of how this feels. Right. You know, so I think that even no matter how how singular you try to make the movie, you're gonna like you know what a post-apocalyptic movie kind of feels like when you're making it and when you're watching it. Right. And I think that just from that, in, in many ways, it's it it speaks to like um, it's sort of an additive versus a you know reductive process in terms of your scene. I mean, Gilliam is so, I mean, he's so, he's adding so much to uh, every shot. I mean, he's so, he's so peculiar in, in what he wants to show. And I mean, how do you instill images, envision the future and show the future uh, with still images? And that, that's something that Marker does incredibly well working with uh, the photographers that were a part of that. And even, you know, and he does it by not showing a lot. He does it by, by keeping things very, very, very minimal. I mean, the, the underworld that you see is there's not much to it. So much of it is shadow show. So much of it is darkness. And, um, the soldier from the future, I mean, he's got his, the unique necklace and he has his sort of universal sort of like, um, army jack shirt that yeah. has a rank on it but like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. there's such a universality to that that like yeah. that that you can you can believe it and you can go with it and then the sort of the strange eyewear that the experiment experimenters are yeah. using yeah. um i mean it's just it's just so low budget and so minimal and it just right. so and it so works and it so yeah. holds up and it's really good at like having this yeah, this contrast of like, so there's this future where everything is there, everything is uh, scarce, and there's everything is limited. You know, like life is limited, and our possibilities are limited, and there's nothing. You know, our hope is limited, um, and re, you know, resources, or whatever. And then you go back to the past, and it's you know, it's lush and fertile and, right. and flourishing. And but the way they communicate that very quietly, it's really like you know. Like, you know, he's like, uh, he goes, he's like tumbling back in time, which feels like very Vonnegut, but whatever, like he's, you know, goes back in time and he's, um, and he has these images and they're unpleasant. And he's like, and then there's one very pleasant day and you see a still shot of like a, a rowboat in the lake or something, you know? Right. And, right. And that's the way they communicate, uh, you know, it's a nice day and, and you, and your brain fills in all these details about it. And also it forces you to act you know, quickly and, but subtly, like I actively think about that and actively think of like a quiet day in your own life that is relatable, you know? And so it, it, again, it's like, it, it creates this other space where, where the, the effect of the movie exists, you know? Yeah. And I think like, I think you're, you're, you're doing so well, it really in explaining that so much of La Jetie, we we as the viewer, we fill it in, you know, we yeah. fill it in. And and these sort of visual archetypes like that, like the boat or the another great one is the, you know, that scene where they're like re, the cats, you know, real graves, real birds. Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's like these things that are yeah. so they're so simple. But we have such an awareness of all of those things and we we fill those things in visually and our own. Our own memory, uh, you know, can sometimes influence um, the way in which we fill in those spaces right. um, in La Jetie sure. and the way it looks back at at, at a past yeah. that's 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 far better than than the future or the present. Right. 
but also the way that we kind of process and actively think about these very simple things kind of imbues our memories with uh, a new value. I mm-hmm. think like, you know, it makes you realize like, and also you have a point of comparison and you think, you know, this, uh, this limited, you know, this time of, of, of nothing. There's nothing that, that will happen, you know? Right. And, and uh, I'll go on, please. Well, I was just, you know, La Jetty, um, you know, it, it, and I think these, all of these films in many ways connecting through Vertigo to, um, La Jetty to Sans Solier to, um, you know, to 12 Monkeys are all in many ways, um, exploring the human condition, uh, in a way yeah. that time, the time that we have is, is limited. It is limited. And, right. and uh, certainly the, the, the death death is a big part of, of of all of the the journeys of these characters you know right especially when yeah. you start out and you're you have that awareness of your own death and then um that that through line is a is kind of an it, it's just a, it's an interesting element um yeah. you know you begin with death you end with death and mm-hmm. it's very you know quite frankly it's very french existential i mean it it yeah it it, it it's hard not to watch La Jetie and and start to and start to think about French existentialism, you know. Right. Uh, yes, but I want to ask you though. So what what do you think is the statement of Twelve Monkeys? Like, what do you think it's it's trying to say? Um. Well, I I think there's this sense of the resilience of humanity okay um in the face of potential self-annihilation okay and and that theme um you know you can certainly see that in la jetie because we've glimpsed the future you know where there there's a there's a, a spot beyond the underworld um right or maybe humanity that, that, or maybe I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that no, uh, that, that reads so star trekky to me in a, in a way I very much like but just like the visual Miss of it, like the way, like we, they just put some stuff on their faces, and you know, yeah, it's like this old future humanity. It's yeah, fun. no, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's so, um, it's so harsh. It's, it's very harshly lit, and the interesting, it's borderline, it's borderline kitsch, but in a way, I, I, I love. I, I know it's that you go with it, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing there that that's interesting is, um, the when you transition into that future there's that layering of uh, these of imagery that you don't see when he goes into the past, when he goes into the past, right. when he goes into the past, it's a fade in fade out and he's back yeah. in the past. Yeah. But when he goes to the future, he has to travel through these layers of print. And those prints are actually, um, I believe uh, were made by this French photographer named uh, Jean-Pierre Soudre and he's credited. And I actually, studied this process that he's almost synonymous with uh, a photographic process called Mordansage. And with mm-hmm. Mordansage, you're, you're using a bleaching agent to lift the silver gelatin or to crack the silver gelatin on a black and white print. And that's... And what's the effect of that? It, it, um, it can create these things called veils where, okay. the, where, the, where the, the, basically the, uh, the, the silver that's on the paper starts to lift. Yeah. And he is those images that that take you into the future in La Jetie are mm-hmm. are really well done because the they're just kind of these crackled um, shadow values on paper. But um, it, it it's just an interesting side tangent yeah. that I've I've done that process before and right. and 
I, I do find that interesting. So back to your original question about, um, yeah. you know, what is the point of these films? Like, what are they getting mm-hmm. at? And I think, I think one is one is the the theme that we've already discussed, which is, and we could, and is kind of imbued there is is the nature of memory, and yeah, time, yeah. and in and and you know, in Saint Soleil, uh, one of the quotes in there that's supposedly from the letters of the that were sent to the narrator, they say time, yeah. time doesn't heal all wounds it, it heals yeah. it heals everything except wounds and so yeah. you know sort of the nature of the nature of time the nature of memory what what stays with you that's certainly a theme but i think i think a big thing in la Jetie is that that there is a little sense of this sort of um you know resilience of humanity in the face mm-hmm. of 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 armageddon of dystopia of um you know self-annihilation through uh nuclear nuclear fallout which is La Jetie. in 12 yeah. monkeys i think it's a little it's a little more ambiguous i, I don't yeah. i don't see um you know the, this sort of like happenstance love story that emerges between cole and rayleigh yeah you know when i watched it for the first you know for the second time you know i watched it again the other night for the first time in a long long time and my initial thought when i finished it was that that the love story was too pushed together and it felt yeah it felt um, it, it didn't feel f- fully realized. But the yeah. more I've watched it, you know, she he has the Cassandra complex. She, she has this like sur- almost like um, victim mentality where she she doesn't she has chances to leave him and she doesn't. And then and then things reverse. And he get, I, I love that about the film. This is one of the things that I, I just started to see in the film that I, that has made me like it more, which is the inverse of, of, of your sentiment about it is yeah. that, is that Cole finally decides he's, he, he is mentally divergent and he pulls his yeah, teeth. Yeah. Is that a break his, from reality? Right. Yeah. That moment when they're in that hotel, right before they're attacked by the pimp. Yeah. And, and he's basically like, no, I, I have figured this all out. I'm, I'm mentally divergent. I have a problem. Um, yeah. I don't want, I don't want, I, you know, I'm, I, I want to just, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right, right here because this is, this is better than where, where, where I think I was. And, and I'm going to just, I'm going to live in the present and, and he's making yeah. this conscious break with the, with the time space continuum. And right, she, right. she then starts convinced she believes <laughs> him and she believes in it more than he does. Yeah. And so she has become the Cassandra's believer and the big advocate and through that they're they're pressed together and this this and the love story for me became more believable but the there's so much ambiguity though in the end when you know it it honestly god it reminded me of i I, to bring up another film i hate to bring another one up because we keep dancing through different films but it it so much reminded me of carlito's way and the ending of carlito's (laughs) way (laughs) <laughs> where he's trying to get to Florida. And there's that same theme in 12 Monkeys where it's the Florida Keys. Come to the Florida right, Keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like Cole is just like he's in a Hawaiian shirt in the hotel, you know, in the airport, um, yep. you know, with Rayleigh. And they're they're going to go to Florida. They're going to go invent a life together. And, and of course, the not only is he killed, but the virus is 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 basically, uh, in, you know, dispersed to the world in the TSA line. And so. It just reminded right. me so much of Carlito's way as well. It's like they're trying to get to Florida. They're trying to just escape uh, his life. And and he and Carlito, you you can't, Carlito, you can't get there. <laughs> and um, 
And so the film, the film, I think Gilliam's original intended ending was that um, the boy, you know, he didn't even want to do the shot with the boy and he definitely didn't want to do the shot on the airplane. So he wanted the ending of the film, I think as it was storyboarded, was that Rayleigh is, goes to Cole, Cole's, you know, he's he, he's dead and she's realizes the virus has is, is been, been unleashed and then she looks um, and she sees the young Cole and there's this like hint of recognition like does she realize that's him and she does she i think she does or does she you know because he's like i've been here before he's he's got deja vu when he gets into that space she's had deja vu the entire film when she's met him and and that is gilliam's i think you know if you had a director's cut of this film that would be where it ends and that is a really uh really dark uh, yeah, it's, it's really it's, down it's, it's yeah. a very apocalyptic ending and it basically provides us with no no sense that we will uh we will avoid uh no. self-annihilation and that is yeah. not what moviegoers want to leave a leave a, a theater with necessarily right, right, right. necessarily now cinephiles potentially are would be <laughs> fine with that but you're you're your common audience member which is is unfortunately what a hollywood film has to appeal to would would right. be would not probably want that to be the lasting moment. So that, that's kind of the lasting moment, though, of Terminator Three, which is very funny because that's like it's not a good movie at all. The third Terminator movie, but it ends like, oh yeah, you couldn't avoid this apocalypse. All the all the shit that's happened right. in the, the other two movies and the third, this one too, didn't matter. This is going to happen anyway. So you just got to brace yourself for whatever. But yeah, but I take your point. It, is it, very well, much it's funny. It's funny that. you mentioned the Terminator movies because. Um, you know the the notion of time travel was, I think, um, originally something that, that that made everybody reluctant to you know to to take on this concept as a film right. because the Terminator yeah. films had had most recently come out and kind of cornered that that concept. Yeah. But and probably I think the, the Back to the Future movies too. I think yeah, yeah, people who are in probably pretty recent memory. But I think the thing about Twelve Monkeys with the with the ending that the producers kind of I think eventually pushed on to, to Gilliam, the crane shot where Cole, Cole leave, you know, he, he walks out to the parking yeah. lot, the huge parking lot and the camera, it's a, the camera's a, a giant crane shot and it comes down to his eye level uh, at the end. And then you have this almost like epilogue moment where um, the, the, uh, the scientist who's, you know, basically on the world whirlwind tour of, of all of these major cities and he's going to unleash the yeah. virus. Um, he sits down and next to him is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the parole board for Cole, the, the right. woman and the woman and, and, one of the, in and in that moment he said, you know, she says to him something like shootings in airports, you know, what's next, you know, um, you know, and, and he's in, he's like, I couldn't agree with you more, ma'am. And, and she says to him, uh, he says, what do you, he, she introduces herself and then he says, what do you do? And she says, I'm in insurance. Yeah. And when I first saw this film 20 years ago, I didn't catch that. I, I just thought I, I didn't quite put it all together, even in the in the days after it, when I was sort of thinking about it and it was still with me. And I think that's always the hallmark of a good film that it stays with you. But what I realized in watching it again is if it, it, it's almost as if she says, not I'm in insurance, but I'm insurance. I am the right. insurance. Yeah. That the that the outbreak is really only what you just did 
in you know coming into the airport. It's not it's not going to be in all these other major cities because what Cole did uh, was in fact meaningful. You know there uh-huh. so there is that there is that kernel of of hope and there's a, and there's you know there's source there's there's definite ambiguity that stays with it but it's right. like but Cole's death was not in vain because she is there she will prevent him from spreading any more of the virus so well, that was not my interpretation of that at all i, I thought that really she was gonna get a, yeah because the whole point of the movie the whole MacGuffin is that he's trying to find the the pure virus so that way they can get it before it mutates so she's just trying to get a pure the pure virus from them, the sample, and then they can go into the future. Right. And, and uh, reverse engineer it. Right. So there's engineer that. And make a vaccine, but it's also like, but so this, the wipeout's still going to happen, I think. Well, yeah, I think the, the wipeout's going to still happen, but, but maybe there's a future because we've got her there right, to, yeah. to not only prevent him from spreading it even more, but also to have the sample uh, that they've so, so desperately been seeking. Right. So, right. so there is, there is, there yeah. is some, there is some elements of, um, of optimism. I think with that, with that ending that the producers um, pushed Gilliam into, uh, in, into, yeah. uh, into going with. Which because I like. I think, I think if you went with with Gilliam's uh, original ending, I think it just would have been too much of a, too much of a self conscious um, negative negative ending. Honestly, I do too. I agree with you, and I don't know that yeah. it would have. I don't know that it would definitely have not had the critical reaction that it, I think ended up having. I think the critical reaction would have been, um, you know, a, a bit more mixed. I don't think yeah, it would yeah, have been yeah. so uh, so overall supportive of the film. And right, right, right. and again, I mean, the, the the thing that the thing that I found so um, so terrific about the hamster effect is is watching uh, the test screenings, which you hear so much about when you read about yeah. the, the movie, the test screenings where nobody really liked it. And, and well, it's they... very mixed. You know, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, that was very interesting. I was once in a test screening for, um, not a test screen, but like a, a an audience thing for um, Vanilla Sky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh-huh. Tom Cruise movie. And they were trying to figure out how they're going to market it. And they showed me and my girl, I was like in high school, me and my girlfriend, I, I know I'm weird brag talking about having a girlfriend in high school, but uh, <laughs> like, and we were like at the mall or something. And like, they showed us this trailer and they're like, you get free shit of the food court and, you know, watch this trailer. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, so they showed us the trailer for Vanilla Sky. And it was very interesting because uh, it's a pretty good movie. And right. it's a weird movie. Yes. And the trailer is like, Made try to make. I hadn't seen it because I had just seen the trailer. I hadn't come out. So the trailer tried to make it look like a um, a rom a three way romance, you know, like a love triangle. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, between Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, and Tom Cruise, and then they just had a couple hints of the surreality of the movie and the weird, you know, whatever it does with reality, and just a couple hints there. And I was like, and I watched the trailer, and I'm like, and I and I remember saying to the lady, I'm like, yeah, the love story is really stupid and boring, but there's a couple like thing like is this movie like science fiction? Because that seems pretty cool. And you should that's the cool part of this movie. Right. And uh, right. and I wonder if that so yeah, I was watching the um that scenes they show in the documentary, they show like all those forms, the forms that people filled out. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was flashing to that and I'm like, oh, I know that experience, you know, because you know, right. like, like you're also like it's this quick thing and it kind of feels like they're asking these questions they want they want it done really quickly 
Yeah. Yeah. Know? So it's a little bit of a, a, a false positive in a way, you know, because they want to get this, you know, they don't let you like think about the movie. <laughs> like if you right. think about a movie sometimes for a couple hours, you'll be like, oh yeah, you know, whatever it was. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. Or maybe like you said, sometimes a movie will stick with you. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, a movie that you didn't like that much when you watched it, you know, that you didn't actively enjoy, but then later you'd be like, oh, this is, this is creeping on to me in a way I did not anticipate, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I think you're right. I mean, I think if you'd had a, one of those cards and you had two weeks uh, to, <laughs> to fill it out and it was, you know, sort of stamped already, the responses yeah. would have been better. But it, I loved the unwillingness of Gilliam to make many concessions uh, yeah. in, in his film and, and, and sort of deciding I'm going to go, I'm either going to sink or swim and I'm going to, and I, cause I believe so strongly in the film. And I, I think clearly the actors uh, also believed so strongly in the material. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I, I think the performances too, I mean, Bruce Willis was coming off of, you know, coming off of the Die Hard franchise and, you know, I, I, I believe Gilliam wanted Jeff Bridges for that role and was really yeah. was a little relu- and definitely didn't want Tom. I think the, the, the studio wanted to push Tom Cruise and he was really against <laughs> that. And I think I think Willis Willis's performance here. Gilliam says it's the best thing he, he at the time that he thought that Bruce had ever done. And I I think his performance is, is incredible. And I, 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 I it's so un expected i think in some ways uh, you know I, I was struck by that i made some notes on that last night i was like yeah the physicality of how he performs he sort of lumbers around a lot and he yeah and, yeah, he, yeah. and he's a child i mean he, he plays he's constantly playing a lot of the scenes um like he he needs to be mothered he needs to be mm-hmm. so childlike and i think that yeah that's incredible i think madeline stowe again is an incredibly underrated actress and yeah her, yeah the performance is 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 excellent and then and then Pitt just you know Pitt had something to prove with that role and and he uh I think he proved it I think it's one of the best things he ever did in his career gonna, I, gonna, I don't know gonna, I'd like to know what you think about the performances sure. you know and sure. it, I'm gonna throw you a real curveball actually okay I fucking hated Brad Pitt in this movie so fucking much it was a deal breaker I found I mean, it to be did so, you think I he over, it, and, and explain that I want to know why sure uh, it was so showy so like actorly and like a lot of you know like being on stage and attention getting and look at me mommy kind of fucking like bullshit you know over the top whatever and i like brad pitt i think he's a fucking good actor i think in this movie i was just like oh i there's this great story of like christopher walken like somebody did a christopher walken impression to him and he was kind of ignoring him for a minute and then christopher walken just shut him down by going i get it you're very talented that's what I wanted to say to fucking Brad Pitt, this whole fucking movie. I'm like, I get it. You're talented. You can act. All right, I'll chill the fuck out. Like, just huh. chill the fuck out. Make this real for me. Don't just, like, wiggle your fucking hands and do these fucking shitty nervous tics like a high school actor. Right. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, I, I, I have I have a little bit of my own background in, in, um, in acting. I've done – I did some community theater recently. And, uh, okay. And I did. Uh, I played Uncle Vanya in a in a production of um, of the Chekhov play, and then I played, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I played um, Ken in uh, Mark Logan's Red, which was a two man one act. Wow! And 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 so I, I I've done two pretty major um, performances in the past. I think 
four years and I'm kind of not yeah. doing, I'm not doing much acting anymore because it's, it's just the commitment is, is pretty extreme with the amount of teaching yeah. I do. But, um, sure. so from an actor's perspective, I mean, I, I've, I've looked at sort of the, you look at the catalog of, of work that, that Pitt has done and there's a lot of just performances where, I think they're somewhat underwhelming and, and I, I, but this one and, and some of the performances that came after um, his performance in snatch, I think is, is incredible. And obviously fight club, he does an amazing job, but yeah. I, I loved, I mean, I think based on some of the research I, I did that, you know, he, he came up with the lazy eye contact um, and the, yeah. the, the, the talking, they worked with a voice coach so that he could talk really, really fast. And that was yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. not like him. And then the, the physicality of, of the jerkiness of his uh, character. I, I think it, I, you know, I, I, I get what I get your criticism, but I, I'm going to have to uh, beg to disagree there. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think Brad at the time, you know, he's coming like he became an overnight sensation after the first week of shooting because I think Legends of the Fall was released and um, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, an Interview with the Vampire, which I thought was a pretty dreadful film, actually. I've um, never seen it. I wrote oh, about okay. it once. I, I did an article for um, Premiere Magazine about uh, a retrospective of Brad Pitt's haircuts in movies. Okay. Okay. That. It was a humor piece, obviously. And yeah, actually, yeah. So his he had he does have dope hair and fucking. 12 monkeys like the scene where his hair is short and has that one little like yeah buzz cut thing that was yeah. great I, I i love it I, I just i just thought um i thought his sense of timing and a lot of the things and his, his spastic behavior um yeah i mean but this is this is the kind of role that is an actor you you know you apparently he wanted to play cole like he's his agents were trying to help him get that role but yeah, he would have been better than bruce willis i think i, I don't I don't. It would have been good I, for them to switch that because then, yeah, because because it's like I like Bruce Willis. He's fine, but it's also like I've seen Bruce Willis. He's he never stops being Bruce Willis in the movie, and his performance is fine. But it's right. just that he he is he can't stop being Bruce Willis in this movie, even when he's like kind of trying to be a little bit like like the regressive thing you were talking about, like when he's in the car and he's like, "Oh yeah, I love this music. I love you know, this music. Yeah, I love yeah. the air." <laughs> I love the air. It's free, free of you know, free of germs or whatever. Right. And it's still it it has a clunkiness and a thing I can't get over. And I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's necessarily a criticism of his performance. I think that's just that he is generally such a a presence, a defined movie presence right. that it's like inescapable. So and I like again, I like Bruce Willis. I think he's a good fucking actor. I think well, Brad Pitt's a good actor. You, no, you bring yeah. up a you bring up a really interesting thought though, like what if Cole had been played by Brad Pitt, and and what if Jeffrey Goins had been played by Bruce Willis? How I would have liked that a lot, yeah. Because how like different Bruce the Willis film would have been. I think it would have put, Willis. I think it would have yeah. put each actor in a little more uh, uh, of a, a, a it would have it would have pushed their range more. And I think you got yeah. and I think you might have gotten tremendous performance. I know you would have gotten tremendous performances out of both of them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, but as then a, you, as but I think Brad Pitt's only in like two fucking scenes in this movie, right? Well, he, yeah, he's got the he's got three. I think Brad Pitt's got you know three scenes. He's got the big mental mental patient scene right. in yeah. the institution, the big, the big and, showy monologue. Yeah, and, and that you know, I mean, honestly, that's that is like an an actor's dream to get. I know, and that's that my problem kind of character. With it. I mean, it's easy. It's 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 easy to play. It's like it's easy to play anger. It's it's easy to play 
sadness. I mean, these 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 really kind of extremes of emotion um, are are somewhat easier to play than really sort of like nuanced emotion. And Jeffrey Goins is crazy. So I mean, you've got to. But but Brad yeah. did his homework, and I think he really tried to play it as accurate as possible. And so for that, I tip my hat. And for I that, I do, and for that yeah. I do disagree with you a little bit on it. I, I think he definitely did his homework because you can see in the you know you see these interviews with like uh, mental health professionals in in the um, documentary, but it's, it's sort of like like watching it. I'm like, you seem like a guy who's really to the Joker. That's what you seem like to me. Like you fucking right. love the Joker. Like that's what you know. You're gonna talk about how the Joker is twisted, <laughs> and right. then you're gonna go up and fucking like do this make believe shit <laughs> where right. you're like a spaz and you got a, a tick. You know, like yep. it just seemed, it, it seemed like uh, uh, phony. It seemed phony, you know, to me. Well, um, I, 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 yeah, he's got the scene in the mental health and then he's got the scene uh, six years in the future at his dad's uh, dinner. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he's got the scene where he actually kidnaps his dad and his dad says, Jeffrey, you are crazy. Christopher Plummer's great performance. <laughs> yeah, and, he said, and, he, and he sits there and he and he I just love the pregnancy of the pause there that he gives it. And then he goes, no, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's 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 awesome timing as an actor. It's awesome yeah. timing. But yeah, yeah. so I, I do I do see what you're saying though. I totally respect your opinion on on Pitt's performance. Well, and I respect yeah. yours, but it was just something like I was watching. I'm like, oh man, I, I need you to be that fucking like Bongiorno, you know, that fucking like lived in fucking like later Brad Pitt shit. That's what I prefer. Right. Where it's really you know right. where it feels like. He's been through the wash a couple times, you know, like an old pair of jeans or something, you know, whereas in this movie, it's like, oh, OK, I get it. I get I, I get it. You know, you're very talented. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then it's like fucking. Um, yeah. And, and Bruce Willis is, again, good performance, but I couldn't get over the Bruce Willisness of it. Oddly enough, I feel like I would have been able to get over fucking um, Tom Cruise's Tom Cruisiness had he been cast in it. I, I, I don't think I, I just I, I don't think I don't think that could have I don't think the film would have worked. I just I yeah. I mean he's a, he's like not a technically proficient actor at all, you know. But he because but I don't know how much acting you need from Cole because he's kind of a blank slate in a way, right? You know? I, I, like I think you just need somebody who kind of has some presence and who is able to kind of play uh, confused, you know, uh, right. And, and Matt, yeah, I like. I thought Madeline Stowe was fine. She was good. Um, my, my other two, my other two petty gripes at the movie. I thought yeah. the music, the music choices were fucking bullshit. Like, um, you know, like the most, like they're so like on the nose, like fucking Blueberry Hill and What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. I fucking love Louis Armstrong. I love music from fucking New Orleans and shit. Uh, but those two, I'm like. Ugh. Uh, come on, man! You could you could have tried a little bit harder, worked a little bit harder. They do play one fucking really dope. Um, oh, what the fuck is this dude? The dude's name? The guy does Rumble. Um, uh, uh, the 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 Native American rock and roll uh, instrumentalist. Oh fuck! I can't believe I'm blank on this. I'll put this in the show notes. But the guy that does the song Rumble. Like they, they play like one of his songs in, okay. in, in in passing in the movie, and it's great. But yeah, I found that to be so grating and cliched, and and that kind of stuck with me. Like I was dreading the scene when the um, the doctors sing Blueberry Hill. Like I remember just like hating that, like finding that to be so unpleasant in the theater. Then like, uh, 
I, I get why it's in the movie, but it, I didn't like that. Is it Link? Uh, is it Link Ray that you're talking Link about? Link Ray, yeah, Link Ray. You're right. Yeah, yeah. He fucking rules. Like they play one great Link Ray song. They play Comanche, right? Uh, just like, very in passing. It's great. But um, I take you know what? I, I'm just going to respond to your your gripe there, and I I, I do uh, I do feel like uh, it's a wonderful world. The Louis Armstrong thing that is just it's such a loaded weapon. <laughs> that it needs it needs to be used sparingly, and so I yeah I, I, I love that song yeah I can't but. yeah I can't agree more that it, it's uh, probably mis misused in this film. I, I do yeah. think you're right on there. Blueberry Hill, I can I can handle that one, um, but I I do think that the Louis Armstrong is a misstep there. So agreed. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I, think I just don't like Blueberry Hill that much, which is you know whatever. That's my problem, not the movies. But like fucking uh, yeah, then, then they play like. I see trees of you know whatever and I'm like great song but I'm like you're making you're trying to make the point of this movie. Well, you know? I mean, I, I, you know, yeah, just yeah. to just to go back to like what you know it, you know think about the you know Gilliam is a filmmaker uh, in a way that is just so concerned with the visuals that I know. that you you had an opportunity there. I mean, he he's using things like the like when they're in the hotel you know when they're in that hotel when he first kidnaps Rayleigh there's a Woody Woodpecker cartoon on yeah. with, with the time tunnel. And it's like, he's just so extremely deliberate with right. every single thing he shows. So to use right. those songs and not, I mean, that could have been a great opportunity to use uh, a song that has some reference to either time travel or right. memory, you know, to, I mean, and, and not, and have it be subtle and not have it hit us over the head, but have right. it, have it again, keep reinforcing these themes that are, that are sort of right. hidden, hidden around the visuals, uh, right. of, you know, of the, of the film. And, and or I even something like a, like get in a song that borderline sucks. And then, you know, cause then the point of the movie, you know, is that, you're supposed to find va- like value in the things that are in our present world that you know we're undervaluing, right? So you right. get in like some fucking ABBA song or some fucking like uh, what's the '90s, you know, like whatever 1995, like a shitty song that was okay, like Eve Six, you know, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> like, so something like Closing Time or something, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly, like a borderline song that, and then yeah. convince us to love it, you know, like a song that can be annoying or can be great. But right. like present a convincing argument for it. Like, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there for 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 something, you know, something to happen. And I felt like it was missed. But I was gonna say another just so Terry Gilliam is a serial fucker upper of uh, music and movies. Like um you've read I'm you know, I've obviously obviously you fucking read Fear and Love in Las Vegas, right? Yes, so, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So like the whole first chapter, they talk about fucking sympathy for the devil over and over and over. Right. And he's like, you know, over and over and over. And it's nowhere in the fucking movie and nowhere in the Terry Gilliam movie. And it's like, that's <laughs> one song. The one song you had to play in this fucking movie. You dunce. <laughs> and, and, and it's weird. It boggles the mind. And even, they even play fucking jumping Jack flash in the fucking end credits, of that movie. I'm like wrong song. That's the right. wrong one. It's in the book. <laughs> All I do is read the fucking book. So yeah. So he's a serial fucker upper of, uh, of music stuff. And, um, but my other, my other, like kind of like kind of the petty i think i had a third petty gripe and i'm trying let me think of if i can recall it um oh yeah i think that the ambiguity of whether or not uh uh bruce willis is mentally ill i felt was not necessary for the movie 
it didn't really work for me. I get it why they wanted to have it because I want to have a little create a little bit of suspense with it. Um, but it, it was like you're you're already doing this so many levels of reality that were that you know so so many ambitious levels of unreality are happening in this movie. You have you know future apocalypse, time travel. You have people like jumping around, and he's jumping through time, and they're always like you know other rando dudes are also maybe time travelers and it's tough to tell and then it's like this so that seemed like one one color too many for this painting you know what i mean oh i i, I kind of i, I kind of disagree there because yeah i i think it adds um depth to the character of 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 what could be um a little a little too much of an everyman simple character uh that that i i love that notion I think that that's, in my opinion, what what adds, I think, a lot of interest to the relationship that he has with with Rayleigh specifically, because um, he's a he's an he's kind of an epiphany. He's a prophet to her almost. I mean, he appears and he he radically shakes up her world to the point where her his disappearance launches her into a, a whole academic quest to understand uh, the Cassandra syndrome and uh, who these, uh, you know, people that have appeared through time that are almost these harbingers of, uh, of things that, that then later happen. And so I, I love that he later, you know, when he reappears, he all of the time travel has had the effect of, of, of confusing him to the point of he doesn't understand what's real. And I think that's that's a the nature of reality worms its way uh, uh, at the at the sort of the the outer edges of the film into into exploring that like what what is real and then that that connects us back to the whole notion of, of memory what did you experience did you really experience it what is you know what is really happening and um i, I don't think cole has a has a complete breakdown but he's he's basically <laughs> just it just has this realization where he's like i'm i'm totally a mess and then i don't believe yeah. any of this and i want to live in this moment and then Rayleigh really can is, is, is having to reconvince him and i love that because i think it really right. adds it helps me believe that they could fall in love and try to escape together because the right. love story has always been i think a little bit problematic in this film but it feels I think, like, it feels I think like a those, Stockholm syndrome romance, right? The Stockholm syndrome, Cassandra complex, and the way it almost kind of switch goes full circle with the two of them. I think it's it's what um, I think it works for me. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, I I think it, it it helps me to to buy into the love story number one, and I yeah. think it 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 just adds more depth to um, some of these overall arching themes that are, that are, that are driving through the, the picture. And another thing I wanted to say about that is yeah. the thing about La Jetée that's, that's, that's in there too is, um, and it's mentioned at the outset of 12 monkeys where Jose, Jose's like, um, Cole's like, yeah, I heard, I heard you, uh, once you volunteered, you end up on the seventh floor and, Right. And, you know, it's kind of, it, it, you know, that's it, you know, like, and, and Jose's like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You don't know that. And, and it's the same thing in La Jetée. It's like, you know, once people have been pushed back into time, they can't, you know, there's the, those, that image of the guy he's got, he's very much looks like a shell shocked war survivor. You know, he's got the yeah, big eyes. And so he's got the thousand yard stare and it's like you're, you cease to really be, you're, you're expendable at that point. And of yeah. course the experimenters 
they do away with uh, the protagonist in La Jetie. Right. And oh yeah, and that's a, that's another great theme of both. Well, I mean, it's more it's present in both movies, but sort of like how you know. So the individual, you know, indiv- the individual is like uh, in La Jetie. It's represented by like the relationship with the girl, you know, and he's like he has this uh, sort of pastoral thing with the girl and like meeting her and it's so nice but it, they're really putting him the reason why he's there is for this you know uh, macro reasons you know he's there for the survival of humanity and you know it's like it's nice that he gets this little like, little individual experience of joy and, and richness and whatever but it's like he's there wittingly or not you know for the the purpose of 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 the human race's survival so it's sort of, and it's benevolent in both movies because, you know, they're like trying right. to get things better for humanity, but it's still like, we got to, we got to sacrifice, we got to crush the individual a little bit for this, which is an interesting thing that, I, I don't know, that's just like, uh, you have to do that to tell the story, you know, you have to do that for the sake of narrative or if that's a point that the movie's making. Right. Right. I, I think on some level, one of the the things that I so love about La Jetie is it is, it is kind of a, a failed love story and yes. And, and, you know, and how do we, how do we re-experience lost love through memory? And he, he really is a sacrificial lamb for a really ephemeral amount of time that he can, yeah. that he can just continue to experience with uh this this beautiful woman and yeah he, he gives his life for that and and because that in the, in those moments he's happy and that the 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 imagery is spellbinding when they're in the museum oh, yeah. the natural history museum with all of the all of these this you know sort of noah's ark of of creatures i i just those individual images i find are are yeah. powerful they're universal they connect you you know, we've all been in a museum with someone we were, uh, you know, that we were in a relationship with or were trying to be in a relationship with. Right, and, right, right. And, and so, I don't know, you get, there's a, it, it's sort of hypnotic. I just found, I, I yeah. find that that is yet another element of La Jetie that, that right. elevates well, it that, so That's much. the beating heart at the center of the movie for me. And that's also what's in um, San Solil. Like, you know, it's this, it's a struggle the, the Chris Marker struggling to capture humanity on film and trying to uh, mer- you know merge the two like you know the technology of film and the the you know beating heart biology and, and truth of, and soulfulness of humanity and you know and and those two things are might be a little bit incompatible but he's trying to he's trying to do that and that's like the the through line for me and it's it's so beautiful and i wanted to say also i I really wanted to applaud you for um for your ability to uh kind of uh uh uh, process sans solil um because i found it just to be a sensory overload i loved it but i i just i couldn't explain it i couldn't like there was too much too much information for me to try to like pull out anything and i was trying to like what's you know it's I, i i kind of have a sense of it's about humanity and, and stuff and but I, I i can't really on a first viewing i, I can't uh, pull out things you know i can't really process it 
Yeah, I think I, I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, I watched about 20 minutes of it last night and I was like questioning why you were you were so uh, interested in, in connecting, um, you know, these films to it. And then I was yeah. like, all right, I got to watch. I got to I got to continue. I got to keep going down the path. And yeah. um, and so the you found the vertigo thing, which was amazing. Well, the thing that there's two things that really were awesome little nuggets in it that were yeah. where where marker was almost being cheeky in in his own self self referential way, and one of those is um, he actually he said that he was honored that there was a, a bar in the the Shinjuku area of Tokyo called La Jetty Bar, but he actually <laughs> goes there, and so there's yeah. that there's a scene where he's actually in there having a drink probably, and he's filming some people having drinks and the there's stills there's the film stills from La Jetie up above um, where they're sitting having drinks. And it's like, yeah. it's like, Oh, that's, that's, that's almost kind of cheeky. And then, um, and then when he talks about um, sort of the, what he called the, the phrase that was used is the impossibility of memory and the yeah. impossibility of memory is, is so perfectly explained in the film vertigo. And so he references that and he talks about his, his main character, Sandor, um, who his, his Krasna, who has, has written the letters that the narrator is, is reading. Um, yeah. Sandor goes and does a pilgrimage to all of the locations in San Francisco that are shot in vertigo. And, yeah. uh, the, and then he references that right there in the film and the narrator references, yeah. um, the tree, um, you know, yes. in the scene yeah. here, I was bo- here's where I was born and here's where I was died from vertigo. And then he says also referenced in another film in another time or something. And he's making a veiled yeah. reference back to La Jetie. So <laughs> it's it's almost cheeky. It's almost like, oh, yeah. OK, OK, I got it. You're you're, you're having one over on us. Oh, that's right, right. 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 I mean, I think the, the connection was just that I felt like it was the beating heart and humanity that, you know, it was they're they're both the same. They, they both seem present and they're also, I, like I said, you know, when we were communicating before we recorded, like the style seems is you know, notably similar, but it's like, um, I thought it was great. I, I also thought it was just a great fucking movie. And uh, like I was looking through Chris Marker's biography. He died in 2012. His I think his only fictional film was fucking, um, was La Jetie. I don't think, he, I think everything else was a documentary. Also, he was the assistant director on Night and Fog. Like that Holocaust documentary. Wow, wow. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, kind of, that that kind of given the moods in that film, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that 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 took my breath away when I fucking saw that, you know. Um, but yeah, so he was just a kind of a, I mean, in the best sense of the word, he's a weirdo. He's a weirdo, you know. It's like interested in 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 trying to document some kind of reality, but he was also interested in revolutions but he's kind of like you know there's a lot of skepticism about revolution that's voiced in San Solil which is interesting yeah and he's Um, it's it's one of the things that did strike me is it's really incredibly well shot it's it's shot in it's shot like a like a still photo like a National Geographic documentarian like he does a fantastic job of layering content filling the frame um and and that's and and then there's also just such an extraordinary lack of camera awareness in all of the stuff he photographs in Japan. I mean, the all of yes, the, in Japan for sure. But all no, of but his, not in, 
all of his footage, because the film is constructed from his footage and then um, also footage that he's he's licensed. But when he goes to the Cape Verde, yeah, uh, whether whether I can't remember whether that's some of his footage or footage that he's using, but the there's an awareness of the camera there that 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 creates this huge juxtaposition between the footage in Japan and the footage in Cape Verde. And it's really interesting the way he treats that footage too, because he's like, so this this girl like looks at, you know, I, I finally got the real her she looked at me and and for just like 1 24th of a second exactly you know the length of a film frame or something like that yeah yeah exactly yeah 1 24th of the second yeah yeah and yeah it was beautiful it was just sort of that merge of technology and and humanity like trying to trying to get those two things in the same box like you know the beating human heart and technology and, and, and recording it, you know, which was, yeah, I, I, I'm having difficulty expressing it, I think, but it's, it's so, I, obviously it's a, it's a concern for, it should be a concern for every filmmaker or anybody who works in a visual medium, you know, right. that should be something that you're really preoccupied with for obvious reasons. You know? um, I, think, I, I, I think it's an, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a strange and interesting film to fall under the, documentary moniker because it yeah it, it uses it uses the you know sort of the the framework of that genre um you know both found footage and footage that he shot and it and it, and it it's very much adherent to the visual nature of that doc, of, of that genre but then this whole notion that the narrator is reading letters from yeah. this from this traveler uh who's kind of a fictitious name for obviously the filmmaker Chris. And so yeah. it, it, it does, it, you know, it, it's been called one of like the best documentaries of all time, but at the same time, it's, it's not, it's not like, a documentary. Yeah, it's not totally a documentary. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I thought it was, I thought it was extraordinary. I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to watch that movie a bunch of times. I'm sure over the course of my life, I, I really am looking forward to revisiting it. Cause like I said, I found it to be sensory overload. It was too much, you know, like, uh, there's so much going on, and it was all good. It was all interesting and good, but I, at a certain like at a certain point, I'm like, I I can't. I watch you know I watched the, the half of it last night. I watched the second half today, and I'm just like I can't process this. I I, I know I'm going to absorb a little bit here and there, but uh, this you know the the whole thing I can't take in. It's 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 too much. But yeah, I thought it was fucking beautiful. But it, he has. It, it was like there's like three movies or three or four movies he really made. Like he right. didn't do a lot of stuff, and he Lajati was his only fictional thing, and that's and and that's crazy. That's crazy. Right. It's like one of the best fictional movies ever made, and he's never did another one. I mean, it's I, I don't know. It's sort of like uh, I don't even know. What, like I'm trying to think of like a musical comparison. Like it's sort of like if somebody came out and you know. Their 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 only album is Dark Side of the Moon, and they never did anything else. Right, it's it's kind of like um, oh gosh, there's a famous folk singer who did that one um one album and then gone. But it's kind of like Jeff, you know, contemporary artist that's that's relevant for us. Like Jeff, it's like Jeff Buckley. I mean, it's like he yeah, puts yeah, the yeah. album, he puts out the album Grace in the '90s, and he drowns. Yeah, uh, and and then it's like, wow, you know, just like <laughs> it, it's you know like everything was right there, you know, pretty, yeah, pr- pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, um, 
I had so one thing. I, wanted, I had one thing. I, wanted oh, yeah, to, go for it, I had go one for thing it, I wanted to get back to, and I've yeah, I've totally and I just totally blanked on it. Um, <laughs> That's fine. You want to take you want to take a beat? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I just can't re- I can't recall what I was going to say, but I had something I oh, wanted to go back to. But yeah, I mean, I would say like I I think that Twelve Monkeys is a good movie. I, I like what you're saying with the resilience of humanity. I mean, even though it is kind of a, a pes, it's a it's the it's a pessimistic take on the rest of the resilience of humanity, but it is honest about it, and you do kind of feel like uh, there is something there. And it is interesting how nuanced, like the the characterization of the the doctor people are, you know, because yeah. they because yeah. they are kind of they seem oppressive, like just like the Brazil uh, bureaucratic people, right. like they seem oppressive. But then, you know, they kind of like a little nice, you know, it's like, hey, that's a good idea with the, that spider thing. You should do something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, or, yeah you're, a good obser- you're a good observer, Cole. The thing, the thing, I just remembered the thing I wanted to mention. Sure, um, and, and I think it may color why I f- I'm s- just still, hold, you know, just loving 12 Monkeys and still feeling so strongly about it is, um, and I think I may be influenced by, by, you know, just the backstory on the film and the fact that Gilliam, if you look at, you know, the filmography of Gilliam, you know, Brazil is obviously considered like, you know, his, 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 you know, cornerstone work, but this is one of his best films. And yeah, he really, I, I think he, so. and he really hasn't done uh, a great deal uh, recently that, that is, that has been terribly successful. And so maybe Did that you know is the man of La Mancha documentary. Yeah, I have. I mean, that, that, was, is, that was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, but the thing that's interesting too is is like I I almost question like would this film even get made today? Uh, you know, given the story. But the other thing that I found so interesting was how did uh, the backstory on Chris Marker giving the permission to David and Janet Peebles to to put a script together and for the film uh, to happen? It's interesting because it can. There's that scene in Sans Soleil where uh, they reference uh, you know. Brando's performance in Apocalypse, in Apocalypse Now, and, now. And, yeah. and Coppola, where he says he, he says, um, you know, he talks about the horror, and 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 so it was through Coppola, the unnameable horror, yeah, 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 it was through Coppola that that Twelve Monkeys was made. You know, yeah. uh, David and and Janet Peebles met with Chris Marker. Uh, he was in L.A. at the time, and uh, he was just not interested in a Hollywood adaptation, and yeah. uh, they ended up getting in touch with um, Coppola, and they're like, oh, he loves the the producer. Um, was basically like, no, he loves, he loves Coppola. We'll, we'll have Francis do a dinner and we'll all get together and we'll talk about it. No suits, no suits. And, uh, yeah. and that's what it took. And basically he's like, I can't read a 20 page legal document. I want it to be two pages and I'll look at it. Right. And, right, uh, right. and so Gilliam along with, um, you know, Charles Roven, the producer, they were able to get it into two, two pages. And he said, sure, you know, fine. And, I mean, it's like, it's just, it seemed like such a back alley, uh, you know, word of mouth handshake deal that, and I, and I I think that's another aspect of the film that's coloring my appreciation of it. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, the film went up in my estimation after watching that documentary. Like I, I kind of, cause I got a sense of the craft, you know? Um, you know, I got a sense of the craft of how it was made and that was very interesting, but also I was like, uh, should I, should I have needed this to, to, to feel this way before, you know, in a right. way, that, I mean, just that, to, to keep being an asshole. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I think a lot of your criticism is really well well pointed. Um, well, the one the one thing, and and you know maybe this is a, a spot to close, but yeah, I yeah, love yeah. I, I love that thing that that Gilliam says in the hamster effect. Um, you know, and I think it's right around that time that he basically said, I don't want to re- direct the film anymore, and he went and sulked in his trailer for two hours, <laughs> and you know the whole yeah. the whole thing just seemed like it. He's 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 a he's a creative genius, and I think he's got a, you know a lot of emotional. Uh, there's a lot of upheaval that goes with with being the you know the sword the standard bearer of a production like that. But yeah. he says he says something to I think it's a an, a broadcast journalist who's on set interviewing him um, or a TV journalist or something, and she's she's talking to him, and he's just like, um, you know, I, I'm just trying to bring to film what I see in my head, what my what 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 I see in my imagination, and that's the greatest frustration that I feel. Yeah, and I and I was yeah. like, I was like, that is a, that is a real auteur, that is a director who's, you know, pursuing a singular visual vision, and and it's 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 not always working out to to what he sees in his head, and um, right. I just found I found that such a relatable moment as as an artist, oh, yeah, as a photographer. True. It's like I totally, I can totally get where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, as a mediocre podcaster, I can really relate to that. <laughs> all right man look I, I had such a good fucking time this is great yeah and, I, uh, I enjoyed it thanks for uh thanks for letting me come on and uh, and, uh hang you're out welcome back anytime bit. man think, think of something else you want to talk about yeah I, I i will do that man there's i'm, I'm a total cinephile so um uh, i'd love awesome. to i'd love to uh you know put the gloves back on one day and step back into the <laughs> ring and uh and we'll we'll hash it out with something else excellent I-